This is God's holy and infallible word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And we're stopping there, but you notice the very next verses are probably the most well-known in all of Scripture, for God so loved the world, but that is for next week, okay? A covert meeting in the dark, a deep, intense discussion, which eventually leads to those most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3.16. At the very center of the verses we read this morning, we find the words that are the title of the sermon, you must be born again. They're spoken by Jesus, and there's an urgency about them. The urgency is there because Jesus says three times in our reading, I tell you the truth. It's in verse 3, it's in verse 5, it's in verse 11. And the Greek is amen, amen, which is the same word that we get amen from at the end of prayers. But it also, when it's used that way, The older translations say, truly, truly, or verily, verily. Remember that? It's like if you're talking to someone and you take, it's the two of you, you take their head in your hands and you turn, they're not paying attention, you turn them to like face you directly and you're like, listen very carefully to me. Pay attention now. That's what Jesus is doing in our text this morning by saying, I tell you the truth. Amen, amen. Listen to me. You must be born again. What I want to do is just ask a few questions about that statement and answer them. Okay? Ask five simple questions. 
First of all, why? Why must we be born again? Why the urgency? Well, according to Jesus, it's absolutely necessary to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And really, the word see there means more to know. And it's necessary, verse 5, in order to enter the kingdom of God. If you remember, it's been a few weeks since we've been in John, but John has been spelling out for us from the beginning of his gospel why Jesus needed to come. Second half of chapter 1, the priests, the Levites, the Pharisees, we found out, are blinded. The people who are supposed to lead others in Israel were spiritually blind, and Jesus comes in as the light. In chapter 2, the miracle of the water into wine, we're being shown that Israel, that's the church of the day, was without joy. Jesus comes in and he brings the joy in him represented in the wine. And in chapter 2, there's that temple, the place of worship has been desecrated and Jesus comes in to clean house. And we talked about how Jesus cleans house in the church today and how he does in our own hearts and all that that means. Now, a member of the Pharisees, we read, a member of the Jewish ruling council, that's the Sanhedrin, comes to Jesus, they have a conversation. He's a prominent, prominent religious leader. He's a leader in the church, Nicodemus. He comes by night, I'm sure, so he doesn't get in trouble with his buddies. That he comes by night is also symbolic, I think, because John is often symbolic. He uses words and ideas to point us to spiritual realities. And that Nicodemus came at night and that John makes a point of that, it's showing us again where things are at in terms of the religion of the day. It shows us where things are at in Nicodemus's own soul. It's nighttime. Things are dark. People need Jesus. Nicodemus needs Jesus. He needs to be born again. Nicodemus represents all people. He represents you too. And John is teaching us something very foundational about our faith and what we believe. It's very, very telling that here in John 3, one of the first things that John is teaching us, it's not how to live. He's not telling us how to live. He's not saying, do this, act like this, speak this way, change your attitude. There's no to-do list. There are no 10 easy steps to success and blessing. The very first thing he is telling us is that people need to be made alive spiritually. That's what needs to happen first. You can't truly live unless you're first born. That, of course, is what Nicodemus had trouble getting. Born again, how can we be born again? I'm a grown man. I can't go back in my mom's belly. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You must be born again. 
And you see, back in the very beginning, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden because of their sin, and their children and their descendants, which is all of humanity, were then born outside of Eden. At Mount Sinai, when the law was first given, people were fenced off at the base of the mountain, apart from God. And we're all born away from God. And that tells us about the reality of our spiritual conditions. It's not that people in the world are, are sort of ignorant and need instruction, and when they know the right stuff, then everything's going to get better. It's not that people are sort of feeble and need to be energized. It's not that people are sickly and need some doctoring. It's not that the suspects in the Boston bombings just needed to be raised in a better home or just needed to be raised in a better nation. Humanity's case is much, much worse than any of that. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritual corpses, and we need to be resurrected from the dead. We are part of the old order, the old creation. We are under God's curse. We are utterly lost. We are hopeless. We are dead unless we are made a new creation in Jesus Christ. We need life. We need divine life. Birth is the gateway to life, and so we must be born again. And without being born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's final, period. This most foundational truth of the faith is what Jesus is sharing with Nicodemus and with all who read his book. Yeah, we talk about living for Jesus. We talk about our attitudes. We talk about applying the Bible to our lives. But those sorts of discussions are impossible without first being made alive by being born again. That was the first question, why? Second question, who must be born again? This is going to be a short answer. The answer is everyone. Verse 15 says, everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. There are no exceptions. Everyone, though they are born alive physically into this world, each one is born spiritually dead in sin and therefore needs to be born again. That's called original sin. And it goes back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. They fell, and now we are fallen. We're a fallen race. They chose death, and now we all need new life. When is a third question. When must we be born again? Well, the obvious answer is now. The call of God is to not delay. We don't know when Jesus will return. We don't know when he'll call us home. The Bible says Jesus will come like a thief in the night. That means we don't know when. And we don't know when he'll take us home. There are no guarantees that, that all of us will even make it home safely after church today. And, and here's the thing. If, if we 
have entered into the kingdom of God now in this life, if we have received new life now, then we are guaranteed to have the eternal life that John talks about when we die or when Jesus returns. And the flip side is this. If we have not entered into the kingdom of God in this life and been born again, there is no guarantee of being in the kingdom of God for all eternity. So the short answer to when must we be born again is now. Now. Don't delay. But there's another way I want to look at this when question because it seems that some people are far from ready to be born again and believe in Jesus. And there are other people who are much closer or ready. There is a helpful sermon I, I once heard, and it talked about how in general people seem to need to be exposed to the gospel and hear the gospel a number of times until they're truly ready to believe. I think this pastor even had like a a set amount of times. I don't know how he could do that. But let's say in general that makes sense. You have to be exposed to the gospel, hear the message for a while. Let's say it's 12 times. So when we're sharing Jesus with them, We don't know when we're sharing with them if this is the fifth time that they've heard or the seventh or the twelfth. And if it's near the end where they're ready to receive, they could be getting closer to the moment to receive Jesus. And what we see in Nicodemus is someone who is close to ready. I say that because our initial thought on Nicodemus is, I think, to be too hard on the guy. Or to think that he's totally clueless. Because Jesus says, and he says it pretty strongly in verse 10, you're a teacher and you don't understand this stuff? But I feel like if we look a little closer, I don't think we should be too hard on Nicodemus. There are some really good signs here. One, he goes to meet with Jesus, right? And look how respectful he is in verse 2. He recognizes that, that Jesus is a rabbi. That's a pretty big title to give him, a teacher. He recognizes that he's come from God. And these questions, we could kind of laugh at these questions. Oh, how ridiculous, Nicodemus. You don't understand this. But it, I think he could just be genuinely, I mean, it, We laugh because we've heard about being born again for many years if we've grown up in the church. Nicodemus, I think those are just innocent questions. Nicodemus is a seeker. He has a lot of characteristics of people who are ready to be born again. He's searching, and that's where we need to be. He doesn't claim to have all the answers. He's open. He's not arrogant. He's lost, and he's dead in sin, yes, but he's in the place that God calls each one of us to come to, to be ready, to be open, to be humble. And I think he actually characterizes where many of the people around us may be. Not necessarily hostile to Jesus and the church. Not necessarily close-minded to the Christian faith. Some people are, it's very true. With some people, there is a hostility or at least a hardness, an arrogance. They're very closed off. They're not closed. But many people are like Nicodemus, seeking, somewhat open, 
And God gives you and I opportunities as his people to plant seeds that God can and will use to bring them on their way toward being born again. So that's another way to look at that when question. When must, must we be born in? Well, now, as soon as possible. Don't delay. You don't know when Jesus is going to call you home. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But also the when, when we look at people out there, people are in all different places. You might share the faith from them, with them, and there's, you just, there's nothing. But that could be the first of many seeds that God is going to use. So don't despair. Trust that God will use that in the when in their life. It could be that they're very ready and close. Fourth, where must we be born again? The call of the gospel, of course, goes out to everyone, which means it goes everywhere. But where is Jesus beginning in chapter 3? He's beginning in the church. He's beginning in the church of all places with a leader in the church of the day. He's not starting with people outside the church. That comes up in the next chapter. He moves outside the church in chapter 4 with the woman at the well, Samaria, in Samaria. And our call is to reach those outside the church for sure. But John shows us how Jesus begins this call, you must be born again, in the church among the people of God. Even in the church, maybe especially in the church, we need to hear the urgent call of Jesus to be born again. Don't let this message from John 3 fly by you out the doors. Yes, we must carry this message out from here. But it's got to first reach you and me. Is it possible to be born and raised in the church and not be born again? Yes, it is. Nicodemus was even a leader in the church. And that tells us it's possible to be an elder or a deacon or even a pastor and not be born again. It's hard to imagine, but it's possible. It's possible because we got it right here. It's conceivable to think that we're really okay on our own. Even in the church, after all, my family is all Christians. My grandparents and parents are. I just, I just got to hang on to them. I'll be carried right into the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, no, that's not how you enter the kingdom of God. You enter it by being born again. We might think if we do the right things, we're okay. If we go to church on a somewhat regular basis, give to the church, treat others mostly nicely, Go on a service project. Then everything is cool between us and God. But Jesus says, no, no, that's not how you enter the kingdom of God. You enter the kingdom of God by being born again. Our work together, our message, our mission, our service, our outreach, our living day by day must start with this call from Jesus, first of all, my friends, or none of the rest of it really means anything. You must be born again. Yes, even you. 
even me sitting in the church. One more question, a fifth one. Finally, how are you born again? And it's in our very last verse. Believing in Jesus. The one who was lifted up, verse 14. Jesus is the one in verse 14 who was lifted up on a cross to die for our sins and the sins of the world. How? By belonging to him, depending on his finished work, his death and resurrection. And you got that thing in here about Moses, the snake in the desert. That's Numbers, I think it's, I don't remember the chapter right now, I'm sorry, but it's in Numbers. As the people in the Old Testament who were bitten by venomous snakes looked to the bronze snake that Moses put up on a pole, and were healed, so today anyone who is bitten by sin's curse can look to Jesus raised on the cross, and that person will be born again and will live. Verse 5 and following say some interesting things. It says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. What's that about? Well, in a sense, it's telling us also how to enter the kingdom. It's giving us instruments of faith in Jesus. It's telling us, yes, believe in Jesus, but these are instruments that God uses to bring people to faith in Jesus. So the Spirit, the Spirit's the Spirit, but what does the water refer to? How do you enter the kingdom through the water? Some people try to connect that to baptism, but I don't think that can quite be because we don't enter the kingdom through baptism. If that were true, none of the people in the Old Testament really would be saved, right? Because they weren't baptized. Plus, God tells us again and again we're saved by grace, not through anything that we've done, not through any outward thing. I think the water is another example of John using symbolism. The water in chapter 2, the water into wine, is a symbol. We're going to see him using water as a symbol in chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He talks about drinking his water. John 7 uses water symbolically. John 5, 3, 15, 3, Jesus talks of being made clean by the word he has spoken. And Paul in Ephesians 5 talks of the cleansing of the washing Of the word. And I believe the water refers to the word of God. It's a key instrument used in rebirth. It cleanses, it renews, it's a means of grace and of faith. And when we talk about the word of God, we speak quite rightly of the preaching of the word and how central that is. And we maintain that at faith. We believe we're called to experience God's word. Number one part of our mission statement. Why? Well, this text gives us another reason beyond the many reasons we've seen biblically over the years. It's because the word is a key instrument in rebirth. And Jesus says people need to be reborn in order to enter the kingdom. And so we might ask, what is the word's place in my life? And though preaching is, is sort of the centerpiece there, the instrument of the word 
goes beyond that. The word is made central in our life in a lot of different ways, through singing, through worship. I think it refers to our conversation with others when we speak God's grace to one another, when we share words of comfort and hope, whether it's in our small groups or in one-to-one conversations, when we give encouraging and supportive words to someone who's going through a hard time, write a card to someone who's lost a loved one, The word has to do with our conversations with our kids. The word has to do with our prayer times with God and with others. All that and even more, not just preaching in the church, as important as that is, but all of these different things have to do with the word of God building us up in faith, being used in our lives so that we might be born again. The other piece, the other instrument is the Spirit. Just like the Spirit back in Genesis 1 hovered over the waters at that first creation, now in the second creation, the recreation in Jesus, the new birth, the Spirit is there. So the Word and the Spirit are key instruments of our faith. And it's pretty amazing how God designed this. For Christians, we have this objective thing, the truth of God's word that we stand on, that we can look to, that we can read, that will guide us day by day in our decisions. But we also have something that's more subjective. We have the spirit, God in us, who guides us and prompts us and who we listen to. As it turns out, it's the Spirit within people all along who enables us to believe and to be born again. And this explains why some people hear and respond and believe, and some people never do. How and why and where the Spirit works, it's ultimately God's sovereign pleasure. And John talks about it here, like the wind blows Wherever it pleases, so the Spirit does, says John in verse 8. So the Spirit is involved from the very beginning, even before we're conscious of his work in our lives, and then he continues to lead and to guide. The center of our text, you must be born again. It's a simple, clear call of Jesus, and it's an urgent call. Don't delay Hear God's word in John today. Listen to the promptings of the Spirit even in your own heart and in your own life. Live this new birth day by day, following the word, following the Spirit in your life, that objective truth of God and the promptings of the Spirit in your hearts. And may we, through the word and the Spirit, get the urgent call out there in all sorts of ways through the ministry of our church and individually as each one of us go out wherever God has called us. But, all those things, but let's make sure we've never skipped over the first step, entering the kingdom of heaven by believing in Jesus and having new life, being born again. Let each one of us, yes, 
even us sitting here in the church, be sure that we've responded to the call ourselves. And let's be sure that this urgent call is the center of our mission to those around us.